Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, folks, this is uh, Jeremy Evans, your host of Believe in Sports Law. This week we have a special episode for you for episode 50 of season two. And it is a presentation that I did at uh, DePaul University College of Law uh, at their 27th annual Sports Law Symposium with their journal there that's uh, on campus. So hope you enjoy this week's episode. I believe it's about 45, 47 minutes long. But uh, a great presentation uh, and engagement on name, image, and likeness in college sports. So hope that you enjoy. There's going to be a brief introduction by uh, one of the group organizers, and then we'll, it'll get into the presentation. Again, folks, this is your host, Jeremy Evans. Enjoy this week's show, which is a presentation at DePaul University College of Law in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm glad to have you all here today. Again, my name is Jeff Becker. I'm going to be moderating throughout the day, introducing our amazing panelists, and I'll also be fielding questions from all of you towards the end of each of their presentations. And I am extremely pleased to introduce to you first today, leading off this symposium, Jeremy Evans. Jeremy is the founder and managing attorney of California Sports Lawyer, registered trademark, I should say. Jeremy represents entertainment, media, and sports clientele. He's an award-winning attorney and industry leader based out of Los Angeles, and he currently serves as vice president of the California Lawyers Association, one of the largest voluntary bar associations in the entire country. Jeremy's clients range from Fortune 500 companies to athletes, entertainers, models, television and film producers and studios, entertainment, media, and sports businesses. For all of these different people and companies, he helps them in contract, intellectual property, formation, distribution, negotiation, and deal-making matters. Jeremy is a graduate of UCLA with a Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science with an emphasis in American politics. After graduating from UCLA in 2005, Jeremy proceeded on to receive his Juris Doctor from Thomas Jefferson School of Law in 2011. Jeremy didn't stop there. He went on to Pepperdine University, where he went to this law school and received his LLM, the Master's of Law in Entertainment, Media, and Sports Law. And finally, he graduated from Pepperdine's George Graziadio School of Business and Management with a Master's of Business Administration in Entertainment, media and sports management in 2020. Prior to opening California Sports Lawyer, Jeremy worked as a graduate law clerk at the Superior Court of California, advising judicial officers in civil and criminal law and motion matters. Prior to law school, he worked in accounting and finance for a number of one, the number one, I should say, the number one business only litigation firm in the world, Quinn Emanuel, Uckhart and Sullivan. 
He has also worked as a legislative aide and field representative in the California State Legislature, and he continues to work on local and national campaigns. I am very, very excited to introduce you today, Jeremy, who can speak on an amazing area of law, name and likeness, specifically in the sports space. So without further ado, Jeremy, I'm turning it over to you. All right. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to uh, be with DePaul University School of Law today. You guys have a wonderful institution and wonderful organizers, and I'm just really glad that I'm able to meet with everybody today and talk about this really wonderful topic of name, image, and likeness in the field of entertainment, media, and sports, which I really see as an area that is really kind of expanding, right? Because on one hand, we can see, you know, LeBron James, you know, coming to Hollywood, you know, signing with the Lakers, winning a championship, and then also at the same time running Spring Hill Entertainment and doing projects there. And then uh, we can see Kevin Durant doing a podcast. We see a lot of uh, these industries really coming together, right? And so I want to talk about that today. I'm obviously going to give uh, a highlight of the landscape when it comes to NIL and what it means going forward and some of the different models that are being proposed. So uh, without further ado, we will uh, get into the presentation. So uh, obviously Jeff already gave an introduction to me. There's a nice little pretty picture uh, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, uh, and that's a fake background of my office, which is a highlight of today's times. <laughs> or normally we might be together, but hey, it looks pretty good. So, uh, and I recently gave myself the title of CEO, but it's not chief executive officer, it's chief entrepreneur officer, because when you're running your own shop, uh, you're pretty much running your own shop and you're doing everything from taking out the trash to servicing clients, hopefully not in the uh, same sentence. So uh, let's let's go to the first slide here. Let's talk about some of the themes in entertainment, media, and uh, sports industries. So what we're seeing is, is that there is more digital space uh, when it comes to advertising. If everybody remembers during the NBA uh, season, MLB, uh, currently during the NFL, um, and obviously NHL, we had essentially the first eight rows, if there was fans allowed, and whether or not there was fans allowed, the first eight rows of seats were really taken up uh, by advertising. And this was a great sort of move for uh, advertisers and for the teams to make a little bit of extra money. And so we're seeing that. Uh, more streaming consumption now than ever. You know, when you're talking about whether it be Spotify and podcast and Apple and podcast, or you're talking about uh, just consuming content in general with regard to entertainment, there's cl clearly uh, an increase there, uh, a lot of cord cutting going on, right? When we're looking at sports betting, this seems to be maybe the biggest issue next to name, image, and likeness that's going on. And I believe one of the panels later is gonna be talking about this topic uh, with regard to sports betting, but everybody from individual athletes to teams, to leagues, to conferences are now signing these deals. So it's something to keep an eye on. Obviously podcasting, I mentioned, analytics still continues to uh, uh, purvey in front offices across the country. Uh, athletes as producers, as we mentioned, with regard to Kevin Durant and LeBron James is the most prevalent of examples. Uh, and we've also got, obviously, athletes really becoming prominent with social media. 
And speaking of social media, obviously social media advertising is a big thing these days, brand partnerships. You know, it's funny uh, with some of the euphemisms we come up with, you know, back in the day, it used to be that we would say sponsorships or endorsements, and now we're saying brand partnerships. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to NIL, right? And of course, the biggest thing, or maybe one of the biggest things sort of going across the country is this idea of name, image, and likeness. So we will get into some of that now. So I want to focus a little bit on the Fair Pay to Play Act or the FPPA, uh, which is the California law. There's obviously other laws across the country that have come into play, but this one I think is one of the most important in the sense that it was one of the first. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was even the uh, head of the NCAA who admitted that clearly that the Fair Pay to Play Act was a catalyst to get the NCAA to change course and allow for NIL to move forward. So this was really a big deal. And I wanna break it down a little bit in the sense of what it includes and what the model is. And then we'll compare that to other states uh, like Florida and New York and um, I believe Colorado. But ultimately the Fair Pay to Play Act did really, I think a few important things. The first is, is it allows athletes that are going to college to profit off their name, image and likeness. That's the first thing. And they're able to profit off that through brand partnership deals as we talked about. That's obviously a big change in policy uh, and we'll see how that plays out in effect as Congress is currently considering national legislation, uh, which is being lobbied by uh, the NCAA. And we now have, as, as you may have seen, uh, Open Doors, for example, signed a deal yesterday with a college management group uh, looking to partner up with universities. Uh, there's also the former, um, one of the former attorneys at uh, the NFLPA has now signed on a deal with Oliver Luck and a few other guys. Uh, I think it's is it Atlas Sports or whatever the company is called. Uh, but that's something to where, again, they're signing on with the universities, which presents another model, which we'll get into. But the Fair, Play to, Fair Pay to Play Act really does important things. Number one was this idea of being able to have athletes uh, sign image and likeness deals. Uh, the second is this idea of um, allowing agents and attorneys to sign on with players, uh, which presents an interesting issue uh, when it comes down to how is the NCAA going to monitor whether those athletes are discussing strictly name, image, and likeness deals or whether they're discussing draft issues as well, which of course would be a current violation of NCAA rules. Uh, if the Fair Pay to Play Act model was pushed forward. The other main tenet of this act is that um, these deals are free market completely. The, under this model, the NCAA is not involved in any way. The universities are not involved. It's completely up to the player and uh, or the student athlete and, uh, and their representation to come up with these deals. Uh, the other issue is uh, this idea of, which is sort of part of the free market aspect, there's a limitation on it under the Fair Pay to Play Act, which basically presents the idea that the deals that these student athletes sign cannot conflict with university deals. What this means is, is that let's say you have star athlete A who decides to uh, sign a name, image, and likeness deal with a shoe company. 
that athlete cannot then go on the field and wear that product, which of course is the most valuable place to do this. Um, and, and may potentially be forbidden from signing apparel deals in that way, particularly if it, it interferes. So there's gonna be some debate with how that plays out under the California model, which doesn't go into play until 2023, which I think was done in somewhat on purpose because California anticipated that there was going to be potential for national legislation. They at least wanted to get the ball rolling and I think uh, they accomplished that. So uh, there's some other articles there on the page. You can check it out. Uh, uh, if you have a moment, I believe that PowerPoint will be uh, shared with everybody in the group. So moving on to our next slide, why NIL? Well, I want to go over a little bit of the history of the NCAA. You know, when we're talking 20, 30 years ago, nobody was really talking about, you know, paying student athletes. And the reason for that is, is that the money was not where it is, right? Anytime you're in a negotiation, if the NCAA is not making a ton of money and the student athletes aren't making a ton of money, there's no there's no pot to sort of pull uh, to to pull from, right? So in that sense, uh, when universities started to bring in uh, television dollars, talking about the University of Texas, or you're talking about the Big Ten or the Pac-12 deal, uh, millions and billions of dollars in television revenue, when you're talking about UCLA's 280 million dollar Under Armour deal which is obviously now under litigation with how that plays out with COVID-19 and force majeure and all that and everything else going on there. But this is a lot of money going on. And of course, again, anytime you're in a negotiation, if one side's making a ton more money than the other side, there's going to be pushback. And of course, this all goes back really to Ed O'Bannon and uh, him basically suing for uh, name, image, and likeness with regard to a video game, which the NCAA has stopped doing. But I think there's some context that's needed here as well, because it's actually not the NCAA that sets the rules when it comes to prohibitions on players entering the draft. It's the NBA and the NFL. And the NBA has, and I think this is important from an education standpoint, because you need to know where the power players are, and you need to know who's making the decisions. The NCAA does make money from March Madness, but does not make money from the college football playoff, which is a completely different entity. And of course, the March Madness uh, money that comes in is split up to the other participating schools. So again, the NCAA does make money, but they are a registered nonprofit. So it's important to keep these things in context. And it's not to take away from the fact of this argument of whether athletes, athletes should be paid and how they should be paid, right? But the NBA has the one and done rule and the NFL has the junior rule where you have to have three years before you can enter into the draft. So keep that in mind, right? Now, of course, the NBA has now uh, entered into a um, era where they're going to be having the professional pathways program and uh, as a part of the G League where players can make up to, I think the minimum is 500,000, but it could be more. And again, you're talking about potential for apparel deals there as well that would have nothing to do with an underlying university so they could sign whatever deal they wanted. So keep that in mind. Um, and of course, when we're talking about name, image, and likeness, what we're really talking about in many ways is um, the uh, men's basketball and football. Now, of course, there is some opportunities for diversity here with regard to potential for, because really what NIL comes down to is social media power. And if you have 
a lot of social media followers, there's been a ton of studies done on this where every follower is the equivalent of X dollars, right? Now, of course, if you have higher engagement and your followers love you and love your content, you know, like let's say a Trevor Bauer, for example, a guy who uh, is engaging with his, um, obviously it's a major league baseball example, but if you have an equivalent of that at the college level, a Trevor Lawrence, for example, or somebody in a non-money-making sport like swimming or volleyball or lacrosse, you obviously have some opportunities to make some money there, regardless of whether you're in a, a big area of sport. I think this brings up questions of professionalism versus amateurism. Um, but I think in some sense, the NCAA opened the door to this, uh, as did the universities when they began to bring in television dollars and apparel money. And I don't blame them for doing it. That you know, every, These are all businesses. They're trying to make money. They're trying to service uh, student athletes. Totally get that. Uh, but again, I think it's that whole thing of being in a negotiation and being a part of sort of moving the needle in favor of your client, right? So again, as I mentioned, to kind of uh, recap with California, this idea of creating a free market. Um, California, as an example, obviously you mentioned U.S. Congress trying to push for um, a national legislation and model, which takes away from some of the issues that have been brought up about whether if Florida has a certain law and New York has a certain law and California has a certain law, how do you um, take, how do you prevent uh, unfairness from happening, right? Because if one state has better or uh, more favorable laws, maybe more students will go there. Um, so again, sort of in the competitive nature, uh, maybe not so much of an issue, but in terms of uh, the nonprofit aspect of what schools are supposed to be doing uh, may be a larger issue there. So just some important things to uh, consider. So who's going to benefit? I think student athletes, obviously, again, with large social media followings and engagements. Now, interestingly enough, New York State inter introduced a law, and I don't know where this is exactly at now, but they did in introduce a law that would split television revenue with the athletes. That is not something California did, and I think that's probably something that's going to be very, very unlikely from a national model. I think ultimately where the NCAA wants to be with this is they probably want a structure that allows the universities and the NCAA to monitor these deals and, more importantly, maybe potentially be able to profit. And I think that's where these companies like Open Doors and uh, other companies that have signed up with universities is they're looking at teaming up with the universities, which would then trickle down to the student athletes, right? Whether that's the right model or not, I think a lot of people will cry a foul at that and say, you know, NCAA has been making profit for years and, at, and mainly the universities and the conferences. So how do we now go back to the universities and say, okay, you can take a percent of this because they're not going to do it for free, I don't imagine. I think they would want to benefit from it if they're going to indeed uh, have uh, access to this, right? So again, there's different models out there. It's kind of a big mess right now. Uh, but I think in terms of uh, moving the needle forward and moving the model forward, I think uh, this is going to happen. It's just a matter of how it's going to happen and when. Federal, state, and local governments, obviously taxes are going to be collected from this, so this is a big thing. And frankly, it's a big thing from a college athlete standpoint in terms of management because 
there's been some ideas floated about, well, should the model, should the money that college athletes make from name, image, and likeness, if they sign some deal with, um, you know, Gatorade, or if they signed a deal with uh, a local, you know, um, car dealership, should that money then be put into a trust? Should they only be able to take a certain percentage? Do you want student athletes walking around with hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars while they're in school? It brings up a lot of different issues, right? And I think the big thing for me and a lot of college athletes, I've spoken to a lot of uh, heads of athletic departments I've spoken to have said that, you know, if the NBA one and done and the three-year rule with regard to the NFL were, were no longer in place, this might be a different situation, right? Because if student athletes had a choice to either get drafted or go to college, there would be less argument to make that the student athletes should get paid because they upfront made a decision to go to college and not make money and not you know, get paid. So it's an interesting idea, uh, but arguably the one and done rule could be easily done with, particularly from a, a physicality standpoint. There's a lot of uh, high school athletes who potentially go right into the G League for one year or two and then go straight into the NBA, or some players like obviously Kobe and LeBron who were ready from day one. The NFL is a little bit more different because obviously the physicality and speed standpoint, a lot of athletes probably are not ready. They probably need those years. So maybe that model kind of stays the same. Interesting thing I did not mention earlier, which is kind of curious, is with the Major League Baseball minor league system contracting and having less teams, I think they're losing about 30 or 40% of the teams. Where are those athletes going to go now? They're probably going to go into college. So you may now see a lot of those baseball stars looking to get name, image, and likeness deals. So something to consider. Obviously, businesses are going to get exposure from this, increased sales through athlete marketing. Um, and again, if, if the athlete has a lot of engagement, uh, this could be a big deal for them. So uh, deal making 101, what does this mean? Well, what is really going to happen when we're talking about name, image, and likeness? And assuming that, let's say, the NCAA has some level of involvement, there is going to be some level of regulation, and there's going to be some level of national sort of model, or maybe each individual, individual state has a law, but uh, there's going to be a national threshold that they're going to meet, and then each individual state, kind of pretty much like the whole federalism versus states' rights, uh, but in the NCAA context. So what I really think is going to happen is they're just going to turn back the clock. Uh, NIL is going to be in a situation where, let's say, Zion Williamson he signed that deal with Gatorade basically during the draft uh, or right after the draft. Well, I think they're just going to move the clock up and they're going to say, OK, so a year earlier, Zion signs with a Gatorade versus, you know, after declaring for the draft. I think the big agencies and agents will, again, just turn back the clock. I think they're going to represent these clients earlier. Um, now, of course, again, as I mentioned, this includes a provision to be represented by an agent or an attorney. I think this is actually the biggest part of the California model. And obviously it's gonna be a part of any national model because the athletes are not gonna be expected to represent themselves. And, and if the NCAA is negotiating these deals and taking a percentage, I think that presents other conflict of interest issues, but we'll see how that plays out. But I think that this is a big deal because again, as I mentioned, what's going to stop an athlete or an agent uh, or an attorney discussing potential draft stock. 
in these private conversations, which could potentially be covered by attorney-client privilege. So that's going to be very interesting about how they sort of play that out, right? So, and, and are they going to regulate that? Uh, obviously, um, prospective new businesses will come down to recruiting and relationships. Um, you know, so it'd be a smart move. Smart move is to hire a lawyer, uh, negotiate these deals, and have talent earn the deal, and have the agent to represent. You know, I've always, you know, made the argument that talent wins at the end of the day. You can have the best attorney, the best agent, uh, which is which is great, which is fine. And I don't want to take away from, you know, from my practice and from the, you know, hundreds of thousands of lawyers out there. At the end of the day, talent's going to win, right? If a athlete signs a big deal, it's because they're great at what they do. Uh, and the agent and the attorney are there to help protect that athlete and to sign um, and to give perspective to the deal. There's been a lot of talk about, uh, for example, NFL athletes now signing a lot of their own deals. That may be great. Maybe they're getting good money. But at the end of the day, you want good advice. Um, it's the old saying, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said the client who represents himself is the fool, right? So keep that in mind, right? I would never represent myself, you know, if I was looking to to make a deal or sign a deal. Uh, so I think athletes, folks need to keep that in mind. I think this is a really big aspect of this um, potential legislation. And as I mentioned, their talent always wins. And it's sort of a, this funny quote, Jonathan Perelman, who is the head of ICM Partners, uh, has said content is king, but distribution is queen, and she wears the pants. Well, in this sense, right, uh, um, if talent is the content, uh, talent is still king, but social media is the distribution, and she's still queen, right? So from a standpoint of NIL, again, it's going to come down to social media. That's where these deals are going to be made, if the, and especially because normally when you're doing a broadcast television deal, right, you say, okay, network signs with uh, NFL because they hold the copyrights to the broadcast or MLB or whatever it might be. And then they end up signing other deals with Amazon Prime for Thursday Night Football. Well, in those deals, the power is in the broadcast. Live television is still very much watched live, and it's one of the main remaining things that is still watched live. Everything else is streamed and recorded or you know, watched you know, on your own time or on demand or what have you. But on, in, with live sports, it's pretty much watched live because you end up finding the results out through Bleacher Report or ESPN or what have you. And so the point here is, is that when a student athlete is not going to be able to have deals that conflict with university deals when they're playing on the field, then of course it presents these issues. Okay, well, where are they going to make the money from? Where's the value? There has to be value for the company to uh, want to give this player money, right? So in that sense, it comes down to social media. That's where the power is going to be. Now, uh, diversity and deal making. Uh, this is something, again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, volleyball players, swimmers, soccer players, any male or female talent that has social media following will have a significant opportunity uh, to make six, fi six figures or more uh, when it comes to, um, to making money on this. Instagram did a great uh, article on this and it has shown a great model with regard to how much money uh, is worth per follower. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, more business is always uh, good business, right? So uh, something to keep in mind here as we move forward. Now, 
what are some of the issues with name, image, and likeness? Now, first is, uh, what is amateurism? I think, again, I would make the argument that the NCAA kind of opened themselves up to this, as did the universities, by signing apparel deals, by signing television deals. I don't blame them for doing it, uh, but they did open themselves up to, um, to this by doing that, right? I think the next thing to think about is, will the NCAA regulate too much? Are they restarting a system that the FPPA or the Fair Pay to Play Act or any NIL legislation is going across the country, particularly the one that's going through Congress and being discussed and debated in Congress? Is this really recreating the system that everybody's complaining about if the NCAA gets involved? And a lot of these businesses that I've started you know, with Open Doors and some of these other companies that are signing on with universities as uh, their, their exclusive name, image, likeness partners to help these student athletes, is it recreating that system? I don't know. You tell me. I think um, it definitely presents some issues. I think regulation is important, but I think that um, I think California did the right thing by going the fair market, uh, open market way, but we'll see how that plays out. How will the NBA and the NFL respond? I think the NBA has already shown their response. They've created the Professional Pathways Program uh, through the G League, and uh, they've already they've already got one of the top prospects in basketball going to be entering into that program. But for example, with uh, let's say uh, Lamelo Ball, right, who's likely to be drafted in the top three, I think tonight or tomorrow, and uh, it's something to look at because would he have gone through the Professional Pathways Program? as opposed to going overseas and playing in Australia. And uh, tons of other basketball players who frankly uh, probably didn't want to go to college and uh, wanted to go straight into um, you know, the, the professional pathways program, something like it. Again, I think there's an argument to be made that the NCAA does provide marketing opportunities a national exposure uh, and helps your draft stock. So. Uh, will you get that same draft stock if you're in the professional pathways program? Probably not. There's not that many people watching the G League. Uh, that being said, maybe if you had more prospects there, maybe it opens up opportunities. As I mentioned earlier with the NFL, I don't think there's going to be much change here. I had a conversation with an NFL agent yesterday as part of my uh, Believe in Sports Law podcast. And, uh, you know, he basically said that they might move it down to two years versus three and this was just sort of his conjecture, it wasn't uh, you know, based on any sort of um, level of fact, but just what if his idea was, you know, potentially with athletes becoming stronger and stronger and, and, uh, and training is getting better, you might have a situation like that occur where it moves from three years to two. Uh, the NBA might get rid of the one and done rule, um, which again would help, I think, uh, deplete, I don't know if help's the right word, but would, would deplete the uh, help deplete the uh, NCAA market in that way because people might be going straight to the NBA uh, or the G League if that's the case and might take away some of the talent. Obviously, international development is a huge thing. The NBA and the NFL have spent a lot of money overseas, whether it be playing games there or having international leagues. Baseball has done the same thing. Uh, so we'll see where this plays out. Um, and there's been a ton of leagues, as everybody knows, with regard to the NFL, the USFL, the, X, the XFL, the Alliance. Uh, there's been the Pro Pack Football League. You know, there's been a ton of different leagues that have been started. None of them have had really much success. 
I know uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has now purchased the XFL and is the owner. Uh, but I don't know if people really give those leagues much um, uh, sort of chance to survive, especially where most of the talent is going to the NCAA. Mike Vrabel, who's the coach of the Tennessee Titans, famously said when asked by a reporter uh, this idea of, you know, why doesn't the NFL have, an, have a, a minor league system? And Vrabel says, what are you talking about? It's the NCAA. And so it, it's sort of a, it's a good model that works for them, for the NFL and for the NCAA. And arguably, it's a model that works for the players in the sense that they get national exposure. The difference is, is obviously, you'd like for these players to have a choice between going into the draft versus going uh, into college and having to go through that system to find a way to the NFL. Or uh, potentially with this NIL stuff is where you say, okay, we're not going to change the rules you're still going to have to go to the NCAA, but we're now we're going to, you know, now you can profit off your name, image, and likeness. So I think issue solving wise, I think this is really a great opportunity when it comes to, I think finally attorneys and agents uh, will have an opportunity um, to uh, represent talent, right? So I, I think in, in many ways, um, you know, this presents opportunities uh, for agents and lawyers to maybe make a little bit more money. Um, and, you know, arguably, I was having this conversation with uh, a couple attorneys and agents the other day. And one of the issues that got brought up was obviously we've been talking about this idea of, well, what happens when the conversation is um, about NIL? You know, let's say I'm an attorney, okay, and I'm talking with a college athlete. And the athlete wants to sign a deal with Gatorade and I negotiate that deal. What's to stop that conversation other than, you know, personal ethics and following the rules uh, from going into draft stock? Okay, well, can you represent me down the road? Of course, that uh, potentially harms eligibility uh, when it, with the current, you know, rules and policies on the books with um, signing anything, receiving anything of value or signing a contract with an agent, right? So how is that going to play out? And uh, and frankly, from a standpoint of marketing and branding, uh, I think it makes sense that an attorney or an agent would leverage helping a college athlete sign an NIL deal to potentially representing them in the draft later on. I mean, that makes perfect business sense. But under the rules, um, you know, not so much, right? And I think there's going to be uh, a, a challenge there um, you know, when it comes to that. So I think, um, all right. So in closing, what we're really talking about here is, um, you know, everything in deal making is about moving the needle a little bit further towards your client's best interest. Right. And this is especially true in unionized and non-unionized sports. Uh, you're getting a little bit more than the last, right. And that's what the Northwestern case was all about with them trying to unionize. It was more just about putting them on the map. It was more, you know, Ed O'Bannon obviously would like to profit off of his image, but it was also about setting the stage for what would come later with regard to name, image, and likeness. And it also got rid of the NCAA using, um, you know, obviously uh, O'Bannon and every other athlete's, uh, you know, name, image, and likeness in these video games and profiting, um, you know, from that. So I think, as sort of a recap, um, 
when we're looking at you know this idea of rewarding student players in the Fair Play to Play Act, the Fair Pay to Play Act, it's a mouthful, um, is we're going to see how it plays out uh, when it comes to um, this idea of name, image, and likeness, and whether it's going to be a national model, whether it's going to be a state-by-state -state model, whether there's going to be state laws as sort of uh, their own way, but then you're going to have, you know, sort of a national threshold. Uh, but again, I think this raises issues of compliance. Um, how do you implement and enforce this? Uh, from the standpoint of the NCAA, it's going to be tough, right? Because are they going to be involved with regulating this? There's going to be new regulations and policies. Are the universities going to be involved with regulating this? Are the universities and the um, underlying uh, you know, NCAA, are they going to be monitoring this? Are they going to bring in um, these third parties that are going to help negotiate these deals? These are all major issues. Is there a competitive imbalance that's going to occur where, let's say, California's law is more favorable than Florida's law? I actually think that's less of an issue. I may be in the minority in that, but we do live in a free market country, and, and ultimately, if one state has a better law, it's that other state's responsibility to come up with a better law. Um, now, obviously, if we're talking about in the NCAA context, maybe there should be more equity there. At the end of the day, um, I think you know students should have the choice of where they want to go, and if a state law has a better uh, scenario, well, then let them go there, and it's up to the states and the universities to come up with a better model to make them more competitive. So we'll see how that plays out. I think um, NCAA may have something to say about that and how that plays out. I think obviously minor league development is going to be uh, a uh, a larger issue uh, when it comes to what's going to happen with uh, the NBA and is more talent now going to go through the professional pathways program versus going into the NBA? Are people still going to use the M the NCAA to and universities to find a way to get more noticed? Uh, that's going to be a good decision that these folks are going to have to make. But at least now they have an option. And I think that's the big. I'll give the NBA a lot of credit um, uh, for looking at that and for doing that. I don't think the NFL is going to uh, change much. They might move down to two years versus three, particularly with the increase in, um, you know, health and um, uh, health management and those types of things. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, ultimately, I think the, F, uh, the FPPA was a great compromise. I think in a state like California, which is, you know, um, controlled, I think, by 70 percent by one party in this state, came up with a pretty reasonable law when it comes to allowing the fair market to determine uh, the value of a student athlete and the value of uh, having these brand partnerships come together. So I'll give them a lot of credit for doing that. Uh, student athlete deals. What are we really looking at here? Again, I think that it's there's a great prospect that there's going to be some diversity with regard to sports. You might have a very famous and well-known women's tennis player and a lacrosse player um, and a track star that has a large following on social media to be able to make some money off this. But of course, you're going to have your star quarterbacks and your running backs and your wide receivers and your you know star safeties and this sort of thing and cornerbacks. Um, but unfortunately, let's say for offensive linemen, unless you've got a huge social media following, 
I wouldn't necessarily expect that you're going to have, uh, um, you know, some big moral deals here um, uh, or some big, uh, um, uh, you know, money deals here. I think, uh, again, representation is a huge issue. Um, you know, having these agents and these attorneys enter into this field, I think, uh, was a long time coming. I think ultimately when you have these players making good making these very important decisions in life, even pre-NIL, it's important, right? Uh, it's important to kind of look at this and go, um, well, they should have representation, right? And there was nothing stopping an athlete from talking with a lawyer in the past, especially if it was attorney-client privilege and the attorney wasn't necessarily looking to be an agent. You know, obviously you can have those conversations, but I think this presents some opportunities to where, you know, these student athletes are not necessarily going to have money, right? Now they're going to get money if they sign an NIL deal, but I think probably what happens in terms of a deal-making standpoint is you're going to have the agent or the lawyer take a percentage of whatever NIL deals that they secure. So, you know, again, and there's probably going to be state bar rules across the country and uh, California with the Miller-Iola Act with regard to, um, you know, monitoring and, and managing agents. Uh, it's going to be interesting how that all plays out, right? And, and what's going to stop uh, certain players, uh, student athletes from having these discussions uh, with regard to draft versus NIL and how can that be stopped? And I think lastly, one of the bigger issues going forward is going to be this idea of amateurism. You know, what's going to, um, you know, what does amateurism mean uh, at this point, right? I recently had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine and, um, and, and, and uh, who's an athletic director. And it was so funny because, you know, with some of the questions that were asked were this idea of, okay, well, what, you know, what's amateurism? Uh, what happens in the context of, you know, how is the NCAA going to monitor this? Um, and really it's funny because in talking with uh, my friend, the athletic director and uh, compliance officer, it was sort of this idea of, well, if you have uh, the NCAA, and I think there's a misnomer, the NCAA is really just the rules-making body. It's the uh, universities who are really the ones that have the power in the sense of they're doing all the work. They're monitoring everything. And, um, and ultimately, it's a, it's a large job in, in sort of in a, in a funny but odd way in talking with this um, athletic director compliance officer. It's like, you know, they were surprised if they didn't have violations. And, and the reason for saying that is that ultimately everybody's human, right? And you're going to make mistakes. And, and ultimately, uh, making mistakes is a part of the process. People make mistakes. People, you know, do things. And I think, obviously, the idea is to try to avoid, um, you know, sort of the, uh, the major issues um, in, in that way. So, uh, Jeff, I don't know if I um, want to open it up to some questions. I don't know if we're going to be, I guess we got about 15 something minutes left. Um, open up to questions or if we have yeah, a question. I've, I've actually asked our audience to submit their questions now if they have any so that we can begin gathering those as we're having our conversation. The first question that came through uh, on my end has to do with EA Sports and obviously the, the video games and the issues that came up with that litigation a while ago. And the question becomes, how does this new law 
correlate with the EA Sports not being able to produce their beloved NCAA sports video games anymore? And can you comment a little bit more about that? Yeah, really good question. And that's something that I would almost compare to the, to the MLB model in the sense that where you have potentially now with MLB contraction and you have, um, you know, athletes, um, you know, essentially uh, potentially more going into college or whatever. Well, and I think NIL has kind of changed that. And of course, contraction has changed that. Well, I think, EA, you know, EA Sports is the same thing. I would not be surprised if it's possible to do as a deal where you might have, you know, a group of athletes that come together and say, hey, we want to do a video game. You know, why not? They're already doing eSports. Um, you know, and again, that might be another thing to where they're going. Um, I'm actually giving a presentation later today on eSports and it's you could clearly have, you know, you've got, you know, rappers and artists and everybody else showing up to do esports, you know, appearing on Twitch. Why not? Um, I think the world is really their oyster in that sense. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. I think the the key kicker is going to be social media because um, obviously from a student athlete standpoint, if you're a star quarterback, the place where you're most highlighted is on the football field. Uh, unless you have a large social media following. So I, I think that's a great question. And I think there's definitely some potential for uh, for that. And whether it be, now again, I would say from an NCAA model, if they were involved and they were in managing some of this, uh, there's potential that they could actually broker the deal for the players. And then I'm sure they'd probably look to take a percentage. Now, whether the athletes wanna do that or not is totally up to them. Um, whether they want to do it on an individual basis or as a group, um, I see. I, I think we're we're waiting to see how that's going to play out. It's fascinating. As far as the choices of law that would apply in something like this, are we looking at this from a perspective where the contracting parties can decide what law they're going to apply, whether it's California or Florida in the contract itself, or is there going to be some more restriction on what laws would apply in different circumstances? That's a really good question too. And what I would say to that is that you know, generally in contract law, you can pretty much have whatever law you want in the contract, right? As long as the parties agree to it, they understand it, and it makes sense, right? Now, of course, the opposite side of that is you can't do forum shopping. You know, you can't, oh, we're going to go sue in this state because, um, you know, because it's more favorable to us, but we have nothing to do with that state. That all being said, because we're dealing with private association law in the sense of the NCAA and whatever rules and policies they have, whatever universities have, if they were to draft certain laws or if states were to draft certain laws restricting people saying, if you're doing an NIL deal in this state, it has to be done according to this process, you could see that. But again, I think that's the debate, right, which brings up a really good point of who's going to manage this and uh, how is it all going to play out? And do we want a free open market model or do we want the NCAA involved? And do we want the NCAA and universities monitoring this uh, through third party entities like open doors or what yeah. have you? And of course, another big issue here is going to be privacy too, right? Privacy law is something that's sweeping the country. And how do you deal with, for example, I could see a lot of deals being done Let's say somebody signs up with Fitbit and they go, hey, I want to monitor my heart rate when I'm when I'm running a 98 yard touchdown and they could monetize that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But there's going to be privacy issues, too. And, 
and obviously um, social media privacy issues, but I think it, it's a fascinating question. Yeah, no, the interplay between the technology, the NIL, the biometric data, everything else is going to be a fascinating several years ahead of us, I think, to watch this, Jeremy. I thank you so much for this presentation. I'm, I am going to talk very slowly as I give anyone an opportunity to put through a final question or two if they'd like to. It's a lot more difficult to, to do it when we're staring at them, waiting for them to raise their hands. It's a lot easier. But in this case, I think that we're coming to the end of Jeremy's time. And again, I think everyone at home should start clapping loudly for him so he can hear you. We really appreciate your being here, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Everyone that's here now, stay tuned. We're going to sign off of this presentation. We'll be back shortly with Len Glickman, who will talk about branding. Jeremy, thank you so much. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much. And Jeff, if I put my, um, well, I guess my email's on that slide. So if people want to reach out, um, you know, they can feel free to do that. But it's been a pleasure and an honor. And I know I ended a little bit early, but I figured I um, want to leave some time for some questions. But um, maybe we did such a good job that there's no questions. You know, I, I love those times when I ask at the end if there's any questions. They said, no, you answered everything I was going to ask before I could ask it. So, Jeremy, just go with that. You read their minds. You, it was a great presentation. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Go to Paul. All right. Love you guys. And uh, we'll chat soon. See you soon. Take care. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.